Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. Hello. 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 September 14th, 2011. This is episode 23 of the Skeptic Wire. Yay! Hooray! Recording from the Go Recording Studios in San Antonio, Texas. I'm yep. David Harcourt. Joined, as always, by Gary Lawn. Bouncy, 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 bouncy. Greg Perrine. The spiders are eating my brain! And that sounds painful. And Donna Swafford. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here. Okay. <laughs> She's contagious, I tell you. Well, well get welcome, to that later. everybody. Um, uh, let's start off with a tale of two rockets. Um, Gary, tell us about the latest on the Soyuz rocket. Soyuz, yes, the the rocket crashed um, into a forest in Siberia, and they apparently can't find it. They haven't found it yet. Well, when this when this uh, <laughs> September 9th when this came out, uh, they hadn't found it as of yet. So I don't know wormholes in space or in the upper atmosphere. Well, they, I'm not certain. They must have found it because they're saying they know what's wrong with it. Well, they, nah, they, they use telemetry, telemetry data to figure out. Oh. So it's all kind of a little iffy. I thought they were very specific about it's this pipe. Or, yes, yeah. but but they only got that from the data before before they lost it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay then. <laughs> so let's, let's try it again with people on top. Yeah, the these Russians, are the guys we're trusting to put yeah. people in space for us. <laughs> Russians yeah, know yeah. a thing or two about telemetry. It, <laughs> so is that yeah, euphemism? Have you, have you seen um, those gymnasts? <laughs> so so what's the update? It, the the update is they they think it's a, a clogged fuel uh, valve. That means that it's probably uh, a malfunction or a badly made part, which means they now have to go back and figure out from the suppliers what happened. And where they hit. So it's going to take a long Are time. Are all the parts going to be built this way? Was it just one mess up? Was it someone who footed, fitted yeah. it into the rocket? So it's just a one-time thing? Is it a procedure yeah. thing? We don't know. Exactly. Well, they think it's a one-time thing. They, they think, it was think a, so. They think because they've been Russian making this for... Ma- Russian they, rockets They, they have been flying. making this rocket. The design <laughs> is good. The design is solid. They haven't had problems before. And they think, and it, it's a, they think it's a supplier assembly issue. I don't know if it's where they cut the hose... Drill the hose, mold the hose. They're going to find out something. They may not, um, unless they find the rocket. Maybe they they will. That would be a good idea. (laughs) You know, how can you lose a rocket? I think this is (laughs) what's very funny though is their their attitude toward quality control. Okay, in Russia, rocket clogs you. (laughs) Now, first of all, I'm sure they fired everyone involved in in assembling and inspecting that rocket, but. There was a commission that was looking into this, and um, I want to quote from this story. The commission recommended that the space agency put into effect a better quality control program for engine parts and offered a suggestion for the plant that made the flawed pipe. Do it right next time! Video surveillance of workers at the final (laughs) assembly line. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> that that'll that'll help. Should something go wrong, they can place blame. But there's nothing like having people looking over your shoulder constantly <laughs> to make you do an A plus job. It does not help. Yeah. I'm in quality yeah. assurance and this is just not a good idea. Yeah. And and this this article kind of just Surveillance. this is New York I Times. And they just kind of flaw go by that and, and later says it's unclear how long the Russians might require to carry out the new controls, like videotaping assembly workers. Well, like they really well, we know that's that, going to help. We know they have video technology. 
And and we know that basically they can find the rocket, put in the videos, and fix their problems years before us Americans are going to get a rocket of our own again. Because NASA made an announcement today, the 14th, that they they, they announced what their pro, pro, uh, their program is going to be. Basically, a lot of recycled shuttle technology, but they're not going to be able to launch rockets until 2017. 2017, right. And that's just unmanned stuff. Tw- you know, manned stuff is going to be 2021. 20, and then the heavy lift oh, rockets. the heavy lift is 2030, yeah. That could actually, you know, bring us to Mars or something even better than that. 2030. We suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're very cautious. And that's if they get funding. That, it was $18 billion? Yeah, that's if their funding stays flat. So yeah. we need to more fund them. Well, just like we need to more fund the James Webb Space Space Telescope. Space, yes. The Russians have Absolutely. rockets. The French have rockets, right? The Chinese have rockets. Yeah. Okay, so that's 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 right. our rocket news for today. Um, and Greg, tell us about um, this school in Lindsdale, Texas. Yep, out in Lindsdale. Linda- <laughs> I've actually never heard of Lindsdale. This Texas. is not Small a town. Monty Python sketch. Um, yeah, out in Lindsdale, Texas. Uh, there's a teacher. I forget her name. But um, she handed all her students a uh, list of supplies and classroom expectations. Amy Pitty. Amy Pitty. And she's a math teacher. She's an eighth grade algebra teacher. Yes. And she sent home this supply list. And on the supply list was you had to bring in the Bible to classroom. And also classroom expectations included listening to the spirit of the Lord. Oh, well, the, the Actually, quote is, to the listen, of the Lord. colon, to the Spirit of the Lord. <laughs> uh, so a concerned parent contacted the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and it became a little bit, bit of a price a press item. The FFRF contacted this, the school system, sent them a letter saying, don't do that, and... Bad. Yeah, and the school system responded and said, yes, you're right. They sent home a new supply list. Um, they went into the cl- the teacher's classroom to say, "All right, is, is there anything else?" Shot her. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> did I did I misread this? No. <laughs> no, they didn't put up against the wall and shoot her. It's Texas. They shook her hand and said, "Don't no. do it again." Yeah, and and she did basically admit that she had come from a previous school, which the article doesn't say much it about does. it, but we assume it's a parochial school. school. We can assume so, but we don't know what it was. Um, and well, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a private school. They can do whatever the hell yeah. they want. So yeah. she had it from a previous school. The, it has been corrected, and this is a great example of an organization like the FFRF just catching something, sending a simple, polite, but firm letter saying, don't do this, and school school officials doing the right thing. So I think happy ending all around, and uh, wanted to... <laughs> Sorry. This was an easy one. We could have done that. Yeah, I mean, I well, think it yeah. was a mistake. Yeah. It helped you know, that it came, the letter came from their lawyer, and I'm not a lawyer, and you're not a lawyer. You're you're anthropologist, that kind of close, but um, <laughs> okay. I, I, I yeah. think it was probably a mistake, and yeah, we could have. Hey so, guys. but you know, it's great that FFRF responded yeah. very quickly to this yeah. this superintendent. But also, I contacted them to get a follow up because I couldn't find any new news on it after the initial report. And I actually heard back directly from Andy Lloyd Gaylor, uh, one of the co presidents of it. So, um, you know, yay FFRF! Thank you for 
being that vigilant, and thank you for responding to us. I think the Yay. most interesting thing about the story, because, I mean, it was, yeah, I think it was a mistake, but that one of the parents are the ones that called FFRF, actually knew who FFRF was. Yep. So we probably had an atheist parent That's a good in that sign. class that called up Freedom From Religion Foundation, said, hey. Of course, they probably could have taken that care of that by themselves. Uh, but, but they're probably in an environment where they don't want to out yeah, themselves. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Yes. Yeah. So a third party comes in, says, shame on you, don't do this. And they said, okay, yep. okay. All, all's, all's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. Okay. Um, did anybody oh. here watch the Republican debate? I didn't. I've read about it. No. Anybody? Okay. I sort of watched it, but painkillers and watching a political debate are not a good combination. Was it like For this it, one, probably would. Was it like Charlie Brown's parents? <laughs> Pretty much. They, they just all kind of talked, and every once in a while you'd get a roar of the crowd, and I'd be like, oh, somebody said something. I just yeah. imagine a row of Republicans up on stage, all with trombones. <laughs> okay. The thing I wanted to bring up was... Um, because this is a skeptical podcast, not a political podcast, but we had some interesting uh, discussion on vaccines. On Which is a skeptical topic, and therefore it fits right in. Fair I game. think discussion is almost being too nice because, you know, there okay. were accusations yeah. thrown. The backstory. Um, <clears throat> Rick Perry. You, Rick Perry, I'm thinking of when this happened. A couple of years ago. A couple ago, years ago. Not too long ago, but three. three yeah, years signing ago? to law. That's a couple. A um, or executive order of some type because okay. it didn't go through the legislature. Um, a requirement that uh, like preteen girls have to get old. twelve years old girls have to get this H. What, what's the name of the, the vaccine? Gardasil is the name of the vaccine. It is a HPV. vaccine for human papillomavirus. For human papillomavirus, in order to prevent cervical, cervical cancer. cancer. Okay. So um, there was um, 07. a health measure to get these girls vaccinated before they're sexually oh. active. And uh, Rick Perry uh, actually put that into law. Now, Republicans, of course, see that as overstepping. First of all, it didn't legally, what happened to that decision? It didn't stand, right? Yeah, the Congress, basically the Texas legislature went, bad Perry. Yeah. Damn. <clears throat> Right, because that is over in Texas. That is overstepping the bounds of government to require vaccines. Vaccines. So he had well, to defend his decision. Well, no, wait, wait a minute, because no, they, they require for kids to go to school to get vaccinated. Right. This one is specifically having to do with a specific portion of the population, mainly girls, young girls yes. who it was, might someday be sexually active. Yeah, and it was a horrible... I remember that, I remember when they did this, and there was a lot of people saying this is going to encourage promiscuity. Why are you, you know... They're only going to get it if they have sex. <laughs> right? They're only yes. going to get this if they have sex. Because and when you're girls allowing have them sex, now to have they're sex. promiscuous. When boys have sex, they're just manly men. Yeah. And it was it's, <laughs> it was really <laughs> sick. And, I mean, to hear and those boys guys. could catch HPV as well. They get genital warts off of it. So there it's is, bad for boys, too. Also... Throat warts, in addition to anal warts, is the the whole idea that <laughs> who else is hungry? We need to have that scare of death in these girls, so they'll prevent them from having sex. Is, is the a politics sick, of fear? Sick argument, um, but that's that's what was happening in 07. <coughs> um, Rick Perry 
actually, you know, uh, executive order. order. Now, there's some question about whether his motivations because his chief of staff was with with Merck, was a lobbyist for Merck before and after he was his, so who made the vaccine. I, I don't know. So he got some flack for this in the debate, especially from Michelle Bachman, right? Was it was it Bachman or one of the other people who said that HPV wasn't contagious disease because it was sexually transmitted or something like that? Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know it's, about it, that. There was lots of crazy going back and forth. Yeah, but. there was lots of crazy. Michelle Bachman's big argument over it was basically that Rick Perry had sold out to Merck. For five thousand dollars. Yeah, correct. She has she had basically three arguments. One, he had sold out to Merck. Two, that is overstepping. You know, that is government overreach. And three, that vaccines are dangerous and cause mental retardation. Right. I believe the retardation statement was actually made yeah. the following day when she was asked to clarify. She was asked her. to clarify, and she said someone came up to her after the debate, crying, saying her daughter had gotten. had become mentally retarded as a result of the vaccine. Yeah, which is. Probably bullshit. Yeah, 99.9% BS. Yes. Uh, it's actually it, a very safe vaccine. As far as vaccines go, it's a very safe vaccine. Yeah. So anyway, so the po- politics of uh, vaccines, the Republicans seem to be anti-vaccination as policy. And science. Um, and so like as uh, P.Z. Myers, I think it was P.Z. Myers said, uh, Perry was in the awkward position of having to defend science. <laughs> <laughs> Not used to that. Yeah. I mean, we applauded him for that. We applauded him for that other um, vaccine he, recently. Right. He also made the statement during the debate that for him it was a public health issue. He was all like, if I can prevent right. one person from coming down with cancer, damn it, I'm going to do it. Which was a good so answer. Have, which yeah. I love because they're also, you know, they're against health care. You know, if you can't pay for it. So it, that's kind of like a hypocritical of him to say. It's like, well, this is about public health. Well, so is public health. Yeah, like <laughs> Texas has the lowest rate of insured kids in the country. You know? Um, what about that? Uh, it's all about money. Okay, Greg, what's new in iPhone apps? Well, it's it's not actually new, but it's, it's basically in the end of 2009, um, a couple people created um, some iPhone apps that were supposed to cure your acne. <laughs> and how do they do that? <laughs> well, you, you attach a scrub brush to your iPhone and then scrub <laughs> your face. Actually, one of the dermatologists in one of these articles said that that's a bad idea. But uh, we'll get to <laughs> Probably. that. Probably. Um, the 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 idea of this this iPhone app is that it shines red light and then green light. I thought it was blue light. Uh, sorry, blue light. Yes, you're correct. Um, so f- 420 nanometer blue light and 550 nanometer red light to help kill the bacteria that causes acne. And That'll the iPhone can actually uh, make those wavelengths. They can make the wavelengths, but they can't sustain them. The the whole i no they can have. Blue they, but, light but, but there's on no there. power to them. Yeah, basically... Which is the whole point, because you're holding yeah. it up to your face. Yeah, they say you, <laughs> you should hold it up to your face for about two minutes per day. Make sure you move it around so it's not just <laughs> one cheek. <laughs> yeah, they really make those instructions. And they say, you know, kill acne with this simple yet powerful tool. This app was developed by a dermatologist. A study published in the British Journal of Dermatology showed blue and red light treatments eliminated P. acne bacteria and reduces skin blemishes by 76%. Uh, Well, skin blemishes. Targeting desperate 
kids. Yeah, a lot of the the other people who talked about this this British uh, Journal of Dermatology study said that it it was a um, a joke. <laughs> Basically, that it, it was it was a meta study and. It was kind of like, well, there's a few marginal positive results, but most of it was completely inconclusive. It might be kind of positive, but... But not the kind of light that yes. comes off of an iPad. It's, it's by these professional machines yeah. that you have to sit out under for at least half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, and it's the same wavelengths as these iPhone apps, but much more power. So powerful yeah. that they make you wear goggles so you don't destroy your retinas. Right. Yeah. I don't think the the no. iPhone is anywhere near that powerful. There's no shortage of ridiculous no. yeah. apps on the iPhone, but this happened to be making a medical claim, yeah. right? And and fortunately, <laughs> so we can actually do something about it. So the the new thing that came up was the Federal Trade Commission. Basically, you know, two years after this thing started, told them that you you can't make these claims. Right. You, you there's no scientific evidence that you're your works, so you cannot say that you cu- you're curing acne with this app. So they've they've made them take it down, and they find them approximately. You know, there are two different apps: one for about fourteen thousand dollars, one for about two thousand dollars. Well, see, well, this what is do you ex- mean? Oh, the fines. The fines for these two app developers. <laughs> and these were not free apps. No, one the the one in the app store, the Apple App Store, was ninety nine cents. I think the Android one was a buck ninety nine or something like that. Oh, see, Android is better. <laughs> no, it said downloaded the dollar ninety nine acne app from Apple's App Store. Yeah, they're not there anymore. I looked. Uh, um, well, uh, this is exactly what the Tea Party is going on about about the FTC overstepping <laughs> their bounds and <laughs> and keeping good hardworking businessmen from scamming people out of their money. Hey, you know that is that is you're exactly right. But it's uh, it's this age old story of you know one minor little. Uh, what? What is that, your Geisha app? <laughs> it's an acne app that is still available on iPhone in the App Store. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a little bit different. This is... Okay, so everybody knows he's holding up his, his iPod, and he has this picture of, like, a Geisha-looking... Actually, like a Nagel painting from yeah. a Duran Duran album. you have to touch different parts. <laughs> oh, yeah, really, it does. You, if you touch different parts of her face... Oh, this is going to oh, tell you why you have acne <laughs> oh, so there and how to watch. I touch her forehead, and a little blemish appears on her forehead. Oh, and the scroll comes down, and it says... Okay, you need to just stop. <laughs> <laughs> You've broken Gary. <laughs> Gary broke himself. This if is why have, I don't drink caffeine. <laughs> if you have acne on your forehead, maybe you've got a lot of pressure in your mind recently. Or you have overworked these days. Therefore, you've got bad-tempered and become angry so easily. And perhaps it will take you a very long time to fall asleep or may wake up so early in the morning. But I have no problem fixed. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love you long time. So there's an ancient Chinese medicine, uh, uh, mostly exercise for each one of these. There's one on the forehead, one on the chin, one on the cheek. So... You only get three points. Yeah, only three, and yeah. that's what that's what people were complaining about in the comments. Only three points. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that isn't that isn't claiming to be scientific. It's not saying, oh, we had this this journal and you know it's by dermatologists. Well, there are certainly it's, claims. <laughs> there are claims, but 
you know, improves or enhances or yeah. uh, supports an immune system, that kind uh, of squirrely uh, language. Hand wavy. These, right. these uh, the Acne app and the Acne Poner app for Android um, were the ones that, you know, just making flat out scientific claims. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate part that it took them two years to slap these guys down, but... Well, after it's, like it's a wild, like, wild west right now. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like they were selling those those divining rods that were using for bomb detection in Iraq. Yeah. I mean, that was actually putting people's lives in danger. This is just, you know, a couple scamming people, people out scamming money, people yeah. out of money. So, could be worse. So, you know, good on the FTC for actually doing something about it. Yeah. Um, but is it's just amazing to me <laughs> that you know, that's why we need better science education so people can look at this and say, you know what? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, we need to teach the kids yeah. about yeah. All, all this new media and how easy it is to scam people yeah. nowadays. Now, what would help is if we had this kind of science education in, say, something like SpongeBob. Ah, aha. Speaking of kids. Very nice, yes. Which, so I like SpongeBob. SpongeBob is good for kids, but it's I think fun. Gary's going to tell me something different. I like SpongeBob. Yeah, too. it's bad he, for you. Well, yeah, because it's you. teaching little kids that they can live in pineapples under the sea. <laughs> so, Angeline Lillard and Jennifer Peterson of the University of Virginia did a study. Uh, they were trying to see the effect of uh, SpongeBob SquarePants on the... Uh, mental capabilities of four-year-olds. Well, it 60 of them. <laughs> it wasn't specifically SpongeBob. It was no. fast-paced. Fast-paced, right? But they use, yeah, they use SpongeBob. Which is a fast-paced show. Yes. Sometimes. Not they always. used it as an example. Right, because there's lots of cuts and it's blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right. And he talks really fast. Does he? Yep. Okay. I've, Doesn't he? I've only seen it like once or twice. I don't remember. Not when he's talking to Gary, though. No. Talk slow and sweet. <laughs> and seriously. Uh, and not, not you, Gary. The, the snail Gary. Oh. His pet snail. Oh, his pet snail. Yes. <laughs> that goes, meow. Don't you know anything about SpongeBob? No. You're talking about the subject and you don't know that SpongeBob's <laughs> pet is a... I didn't oh. give a damn. All, <laughs> I, all I know is Clancy Brown voices the owner of the Crab Shack, so... That's really cool. Crabby. Okay. Mr. Krabs. Yes. Mr. Krabs. Mr. Krabs. Sorry. Krabby. What Krabby they did, they, they wanted to test their, their mental capabilities immediately after they, they watched, uh, did three different activities. So they took these 60 kids who happened to be four years old, and a third of them, 20 of them did nine minutes watching SpongeBob, uh, nine minutes watched uh, Kalu, and nine, a third nine minutes, group. a third group doing uh, drawing. And then they had them do some executive it, function tests. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what? They passed they, off they, they, dirty they deals their, about their, their, their ability to... of uh, to pay attention, a problem solving ability, uh, memory, and delay of gratification. Which right. they had a snack there, and then they waited to see how long it would take them after they left the room to actually go munch down. Because kids are always good at delayed gratification, yeah. especially four year olds. Yep. So it turns out that for the uh, the problem solving, seventy percent of the kids who did the drawing finished the problem solving. Thirty five percent of the kids watching Kalu uh, finished the problem solving, and only fifteen percent of of the group 
uh, you know, the SpongeBob group finished the, the problem solving. I love the way these articles are phrased that way. Yes, because it turns out because if you just look at the percentages, <laughs> it seems amazing. Yeah, but then but you see SpongeBob three six... kids, seven kids, and then fourteen. Right. So <clears throat> it's it's not all. It looks significant percentage wise, but we're talking about twenty kids, 20 in kids the per group. Yeah. Yeah. So, if 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 you had doubled, say the difference between the high and low group, the high and low group were about ten kids apart. Right. If you doubled that even, and then you know made it a much larger sample size, even if that that difference was doubled, it would automatically go insignificant. You you can't just study. If you dub, say that again, you double the sample. If size. If you had a much bigger sample size, yeah. and let's say for example the difference between the groups was not ten kids but twenty kids, but you studied a thousand kids. The difference of 20 is not significant. It probably would not break the p-value. What's your point? That you need why, to why? study more people. That is bad science. Yeah. That is bad uh, statistics. There's a lot of, when you're studying only 60 well, yeah, subjects, okay. there's a lot of noise. Sure. Right. Um, and then I'm there's sure all these, point all these yeah. articles saying, oh, we can draw these vast conclusions of SpongeBob is bad for your kids. And, it's not, I mean, yeah. it's not a terrible little study. But well, that's, that's, well, it's never phrased that way. It's always. But but the the other problem is that that I see is is they're yeah. discounting the, the fact. Okay, they're riling the kids up mentally by one calming some kids down by having them draw, mm-hmm. um, and then I guess it, then showing like a, a very boring, um, more appropriate to their age group, and then showing them a very high pace, and that's just gonna. I mean. That's going to excite their minds. Yeah, excite them or confuse them, in which case it's also a form of excitement. Yeah, which is the point. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And you're talking four-year-olds. Yeah. Five-year-old at home, he has the attention span of an autistic gnat. Yeah. Okay. I think it's good information. You know, obviously you'd want more more kids. Well, Um, I know, but to to me, you're you're asking a kid to do something after you've stimulated the, the kid. Right. But, the, but you know what? Bob. What happens? And, and, but you're not going to get the, any kid. I mean, if you had, if you if you just riled up the, the kids that were drawing and you got them really excited about something, they would probably have the exact same experience. Just had them running around the room. Yeah. Uh, and then had okay, you know, or, or play dodgeball right. or or whatever. But this or is, brought in Santa Claus. Sure, it's relevant information for parents who are sending their kids off to school. And what are they doing before school? You know. But this is this is very very short term. So they didn't they didn't short test term. they right. didn't they didn't test anything past a couple of you know a couple of minutes. Right. So they did nine minutes and then they don't know like thirty minutes later whether they're calling right. that or not. Right. It's short you term. Know. It's kind of like you know mm-hmm. the the Mozart effect, whatever. If right. you if you want to do well on a test, I mean that's not surprising, you, because what you, if you have to perform, whatever it, it matters what you do immediately previous to that. And the so there is a Mozart is effect, relaxing. which is a short term effect. Well, Not a long. I think the I, problem with that is people think that it's a long term. You know, if your kid listens to Mozart, he's going to grow up to be a genius. No, but you can listen to Mozart before you take a test. You're going to do. Uh, well, I think I think they the, they've the study, actually they, they, found they, they that discounted they, that. The I don't baby study. Mozart series has been thoroughly. No, the baby Mozart series is is no, no, debunked <clears throat> as far as making Mozart your kids has also been. smart. It's but I don't any think, music. I don't think, it's been studied as any music is going to help you perform better. But yeah, that's yes. Okay. Oh so, no, I don't know. De- death metal, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's not any music. So uh, Lillard said that four-year-olds were chosen because at that age is the heart of the period during which you see the most development and certain self-control abilities. So all I can say is that 
for this particular group of four-year-olds, and four-year-olds somewhat in general, it might uh, relate to them. Uh, One problem with the study is all the kids were uh, white, middle class, or wealthy. So you can't really generalize based on the numbers, based on the, the, the sample cohorts, the whole thing. And you guys just do not like this study at all. I, no, I don't like this study. I think it's foolish. It'd be fine as a preliminary study and left at that. But the, I, what I really don't like is the press saying that we can make conclusions based on, and even the authors of the study saying that we can make conclusions off of a small sample size study. And none of the kids were tested before they watched television. So you don't even yeah, know if, if they happen to put all 20 of the ADD kids <laughs> you know, just the really excitable ones in in the SpongeBob group. But however, it has been shown that kids who watch television before they're two years old, um, long term studies, it does impair their later ability to to uh, concentrate. Concentrate. Thank you. <laughs> Apparently, you watched a lot of TV as I a child. I actually did not. We didn't have television when I was a kid. So, uh, Dr. Dimitri A. Christakis, an authority on children in the media. Um, said, connecting fast-paced television viewing to deficits in executive function has profound impacts for children's cognitive and social development that need to be considered and reacted to. And then Nickelodeon said... We don't target SpongeBob. They they said, having 60 non-diverse kids who are not part of the show's targeted demo watch nine minutes of programming is questionable methodology. It could not possibly prove the basis for any valid findings that parents could trust. And they, then they said, you know, SpongeBob is intended for kids six to eleven, and not by preschoolers. Yeah, but but that, that to me it. is almost yeah. a, cop That's out. a cop out. Yeah. However, it is an advanced. It, I mean, it's an advanced show because there's lots of cuts. It's very fast. A Caroloo, uh, which I didn't know about before Caillou. I did this. Huh? Caillou. Caillou. Okay, I, I keep on wanting to say Caribou, which is what I think. <laughs> Caillou is actually first of all, you can't trust it because it's from uh, Canada. <laughs> Canada. French Canada, Canada land. <laughs> it was originally broadcast in in Frenchies. Ah, uh, the exotic land of Canada. <laughs> Canada, exactly. <laughs> I, I watched a, a little bit of an episode of it, and that's actually not a particularly slow one either. There's lots of cuts as well. Unlike I think uh, what's the, the Tinky Winky and all those uh, Teletubbies. Teletubbies. Basically, if you wa- if you had the kids watch a Kevin Smith movie. Because it has very few cuts and very long scenes, <laughs> probably do better than watching SpongeBob. Okay, if if it's true, if it's true, get get a better study because it's yeah. it's good information for parents anyway. Yeah. To, if but you want to prepare your that's kids, that's why for they task, do these little studies test. first to see if exactly. it's worth to do the bigger let's not, study. Let's not beat but, up on these. But guys. like, but like the the, the, whole, the whole thing, the reason that Greg and I did ours together is they they took a small fact or a small bump, and they expounded upon it, and they drew conclusions that weren't necessarily. So they're saying SpongeBob is bad, based on 60 white kids. <laughs> Maybe we should do our own study. Yeah, well, I think, I think we are doing our own study. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that was our point with, with this. So I should, okay. shall we carry on? I, yep, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And it's uh, it's been away for a few weeks, but we're going to do a Pose Corner. Poe! Yay! In the corner! All right. We haven't done this in a little while, so just remind everybody. Uh, Poe's Law is that internet meme that it is essentially almost impossible without a nod or a wink to 
differentiate between something that's actual fundamentalism and satire fundamental fundamentalism. So we we take a little bit of liberty with that, with saying, all right, of the stories that you're going to read or hear, um, can you figure out what is the satire and what is actual news? So I'm going to read out three little bits of stories to my fellow podcasters, and we'll see if they can figure out which one is the satire and which two are real. So number one, study. 92% of babysitters hired by moms are butt ugly. A study conducted by the Hartford State College on Hartford Dads. Uh, Hartford or Harfold? Harfold, sorry. Harfold Dads shows that the vast majority of babysitters found by their children's mothers are not pleasant to look at. More than 9 out of 10 babysitters, or 92%, of those hired by the moms only were deemed to have facial and bodily qualities that were less than desirable in the opinion of the dads. Study number two. Women's tears reduce sex drive in men. Study hints. I thought that was wedding cake. (laughs) In multiple experiments, male subjects smelled either women's fresh tears or a control liquid of saline, which was trickled down the faces of the same women. When the men were shown photographs of ordinary women not involved in the experiment, those that had sniffed real tears were less sexually aroused than men who had sniffed saline, as revealed by the men's heart rates, skin temperatures, and testosterone levels, among other cues. Hmm. Number three. Wealthy men give women more orgasms. Duh. (laughs) Well, I guess it answers that one. (laughs) Scientists have found that the pleasure women get from making love is directly linked to the size of their partner's bank balance. They found that the wealthier a man is, the more frequently he gave his partner, uh, his partner has orgasms. Women's orgasm frequently increases with the income of the partner, said Dr. Uh, Thomas Pollitt, the Newcastle University psychologist behind the research. Hmm. So, my friends, which one is the Poe and which one are fake? Uh, anybody want to start? I'm guessing number one. Okay. Any particular reasoning? Harfold State. <laughs> Harfold State College. I, you I... know, and I understand this would work with, like, you know, President Clinton and, you know, some of his picks for, you know, say, the Supreme Court and his cabinet. <laughs> But, you know, this just breaks down the whole Lolita argument. So (laughs) that's why I'm going with number one. All right. Scary. Okay. I think think two is true. I'm going between one and three. And I'm I'm wondering in the third one on how they – Figured out whether self-reporting while the guy was in there. <laughs> Maybe it was one of those fMRI studies where they put two people in an MRI while they were having sex. <laughs> if that's the case, that's a pretty good study. You know, it, yeah, it, I would probably need a little bit more. I, I kind of understand one in that it would make sense. You know, women are critical of other women, and especially if they're younger women and their husbands are. <laughs> You know, perhaps they hired them so that the husband wouldn't go for them because that's, you know, the, the a, whole a, classic, a classic porn scenario. Right. Um, I'm going to go with wealthy men give women more orgasms. All right. That's number three. David, okay. what do you think? Okay. Um, I think number two is 
true. I think there's an actual study. I think that um, one and three are in some, some sense both correct. <laughs> I don't know about the statistics, but I think they're both correct. Um, I think moms probably uh, don't look for the most beautiful babysitter for the kids. And I, I, there's probably some kind of correlation between wealth and uh, orgasms. Maybe maybe they can afford better toys <laughs> <laughs> or better romantic vacations or something like that. <clears throat> um, Whoever says money can't buy pleasure doesn't know where to shop. <laughs> I think just based on, I don't know, I don't know. Was this supposedly actual? The actual headlines on the stories? These were the actual headlines on the websites where I found them. Oh, curse! That was a good question. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, number one being the fake. All righty. So you both agree that number two, the women's tears reduce sex drive in men, is actual story. And yes, that is an actual story. Yeah, I actually knew yeah. that one. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. I, I, I know it's been mentioned maybe on some other podcasts, maybe on some blogs. So you know, I figured that that was a gimme, a gimme to you guys. Um, wealthy men give women more orgasms. That was Gary. You thought that was tr- um, the fake. Yeah. And I found that in the Times online yeah. at the yeah. UK. Yay. Um, it was actually part of a wider body of research uh, into evolutionary psychology that suggests both men and women are genetically predisposed to ruthlessly exploit each other to achieve the best sa- chances for the survival of the yeah. genes. Yeah. Well, I mean, and- evolutionarily speaking, I... In modern times, specifically, women would look towards the bank account as opposed to being the strongest, you know, hunter mm-hmm. of the pack, because evolutionary-wise, women are designed to look for the best provider. Yep. Yeah. And we've also so, determined that men who spend lavishly are going to pick up more women. Yep. So, but this but is that, not but good that's for not us people that orgasm. don't have a lot of money. <laughs> so now they can only get them; they can also keep them. Yep. So study. And how many of these women do we know are not faking them? That was my point. That was that was my question. But I, you, I, I didn't I didn't think, didn't think to ask about the headlines because I don't think the... butt ugly would show up anywhere but on the onion. <laughs> well, I'll post links to the three stories that I put up here on the blog tonight, so uh, anybody who wants to read these stories can uh, go find them. But that means that, um, Gary, you were wrong. I was wrong. And so and what was, what you said, David the, the and babysitter Donna. story, there was an actual story? Babe, uh, that is, uh, got off of thespoof.com. Okay. All it's right. a satirical website where it's kind of like The Onion, where they have a bunch of silly stories. Um, you Should know. have asked where you got the damn headlines. That's where I wasn't going to tell you where. Well, I know, but, yeah. but you you yeah. didn't change the headlines. No, I did not change the headlines. I but know. headlines are notoriously written by headline writers. Right, who but they're not going to put butt trying to catch you. Um, <laughs> yeah, they are. Who have you seen? Have you seen the way that some writers, you know, because they're going for the shock value? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I agree Read with Gary. MSNBC. Yeah, the other, the other I agree with Gary. Yeah, the, the other That's two were a little bit more headline-y professional kind of things. I yeah. Think. So that was Poe's Corner for this week. Thank all you right. all for playing. Yay. I Very won. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you won, David, you can start the next topic. Okay. All right. Yes, you su- you survived death in oh, that one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the next the next Sudden topic. death round. <clears throat> and actually, I was going to talk about something else, but um, uh, shout out to Allison. Allison, who, who posted this story, 
and read it. I thought On it was a good one. Skeptics Meetup. Today. Board. And I researched it, and I'm going to talk about it because it's very cool. I could not get to the actual study, so I'm going to have to rely on the Scientific American write-up of this story. Oh, and that's fine. I mean, what could go wrong? It's not like you got it out of the sun or something. I did try to get the story. It's subscribers only, so unfortunate. Um, headline, near-death experiences now found to have scientific explanations. Only just now? Well, you know. Wait a minute. Now or now? <laughs> they do claim to have some, some new research. I'm not sure what the new research is. It doesn't really uh, clarify. Because some of this is obviously old research. There's some things that we already knew. But it, it, it is interesting to tie everything together and say, okay, here are some of the things that are experienced during near-death experiences, and here is how they are normal or maybe not normal, but explainable neurological functions. Because there, there does seem to be some cross-cultural experiences that ever that all these new near death experiences all kind of yes. seem to have like the yes. the light the tunnel the tunnel is one the, of them the 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 dead relatives or the feeling you're out yes. of your body so they're yes. saying that there are explanations for these and they kind of go through each one of these and have some explanations so i'm going to go through some of these okay okay all right one of the interesting things they they uh, found is that of 58 patients who recounted near death experiences only 30 were uh, 30 were not actually in danger of dying. So near-death experiences are often felt by those who actually had no danger of dying. So that's interesting. Maybe it was just comedians up on stage. Um, oh. Speaking of dying. So we know that the, the feeling of near-death experience that you experience is, you know, that kind of argues against this is something that, that going to heaven is actually right. you're on death's door. It's not necessarily true. You can you can actually experience the same things just being sick or in some traumatic situation. Plus, we we have no way of knowing what people who actually die actually experience because they can't tell us. Because well, dead. there are actual near death <laughs> experiences yeah, who, have, died on who have fully and honestly died and stayed dead. We don't know. Well, we know the process. <laughs> There's a whole dying. big sample size out there, that and there we are can't some test. similarities. Yeah. Okay. We don't I'm know. Stuck on the, the sample size you, thing. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. The first one is, I think, the most interesting, and that is the feeling of being dead. Oh, okay? yeah. <laughs> because there are some there are some delusions, named delusions for people who are quite alive, of people who feel that they are dead. I've Zombies? never heard okay. of this before. And, this and was we amazing. we call this uh, Qatard delusion or Qatard syndrome. Look it up on Wikipedia. And um, <laughs> there are people who have been that. in... <laughs> There are so many better reference points than Wiki-fucking-pedia. I like Wikipedia, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Look it up on Conservapedia. And sure. believe it if there are citations. How's that? Okay. Yeah, there A are citations. Better. Look, so this is um, also... Okay, read read the book um, On Being Certain. They talk about the same thing. Okay, because it's also related to another syndrome called Capras. Okay? These, you can actually feel that you are dead. There are people who have brain injuries who just do not think they are dead. They're in heaven. They're in hell. They they don't feel because you don't you don't have that familiarity with yourself anymore. Our our brains depend our our sense of self depends on neurological functions that tell us that we are ourselves, and that can go awry. Yeah. And so you feel like I'm not even alive. And the the, the counter to that is you can also there's a syndrome where you can feel that all the people around you, your family and friends, have been swapped out and they're all imposters. 
because they don't feel familiar to you. So there's this kind of feeling. If you read on being certain, that's a great book. It talks about this. So you think about the people who've had near-death experiences who haven't weren't really near death, right. but they may have felt there's something that shuts down in their brain temporarily that feels I was dead for a certain period of time. Well, maybe you weren't. Okay. So there's that feeling that goes with all of this. And there's some other things that go on. So out-of-body experiences. And I know we've been reading Paranormality. Right. And it talks about out-of-body experiences by Richard Wiseman. So we're a little bit familiar with this. But that also can be triggered by stress. That's something you can train yourself to do. Uh, not real, of course. It feels like you're having an out-of-body experience. You're, it feels like your consciousness is up above and floating around. They call it astral projection. Wow. (laughs) And some of it can also be attributed to the sleep paralysis uh, phenomenon where uh, that's attributed to a lot of alien visitation beliefs where people feel that they're in bed fully conscious, but they can't get up. They're frozen by the aliens. It's very similar to that. Yeah, it's very similar to that. And it's probably what's happening when you're, you know, going, you know, in and out of comas, things like that. You've probably got some weird brain functioning feels probably like you're floating above, above. So... Uh, there's another, you know, characteristic of near-death experience. Another is meeting the deceased. So meeting your grandpa, meeting people you knew in your, you know, life who have died. Okay, that is not uncommon with certain drugs and other mental impairments to hallucinate. And when you hallucinate, you often do feel that you, you know you're meeting. Think people well, who yeah. you have or known even, in your life. Even, yeah, well, uh, like uh, widows or widowers who, who've lived their, their entire life with their, their partner. The partner dies and they see them out the, of the corner of their eye, stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of a stressful thing, yeah. especially right after the, uh, the person has passed on. And it yeah. can also lead to some people, not just familiar faces, but people having hallucinations of angels or demons. Right. And, you know, the, yeah, just hallucinations this is a effect. big part of this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you see, you can see all sorts of things. Um, and then another thing is the euphoria. And, of course, you oh, I was in heaven and everything was wonderful and I felt bliss and peace. And, and that's another thing that can be stimulated all sorts of ways in the human brain. Or by it, autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> or by just basic over-the-counter drugs. Right. Drugs. <laughs> or under-the-counter drugs. Um, meditation. We were, we were going you to know, talk about you that. You can trigger this. And the other one, interesting one, is seeing the tunnel with a bright light, bright which light, we yeah. all hear about. So yeah. that tunnel, of course, is interpreted as to heaven, right? And there's right. a bright light, and you see that. So that's another thing that is actually pretty well understood as when blood flow does, is not properly flowing yeah, well, to your, your visual eyes system. Start dilating and you yeah. know, your vision starts treading down. Things get blurry. Yeah. So this is an interesting article how it kind of puts all of this together. Of course, I, I did visit some of the spiritual sites to get their reaction. <laughs> and um, Did you get a heart math? Heart math, no. <laughs> Don't get them started on heart math. Please, please, no. I did go to heart math, but not for this. Not for this. <laughs> All right, keep so, going. Okay, so um, there was a lot of, of course, oh, science thinks they've they've explained spirituality and a lot of, come on. Even if you can explain these particular things, even though these things can happen, doesn't mean that that's why they're happening uh. at that time, right? You can't prove 
that these are not actual spiritual experiences. You can't show that all these things happen. And also, why are all these things happening at once at a near-death experience? You're not showing how they're, why all these things would be happening at that point. Just shut the, and, shut the damn brain down yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. A lot of it, this stuff it, can it, be me, artificially fairly, triggered. Yeah, to me yeah. it's fairly simple. You know, your brain is losing oxygen. It's, it's shutting down. It's doing a lot of crazy weird stuff. Weird chemicals are going all over the place. And just about any kind of weird uh, neurological thing that can happen can probably happen at this point. And so it's, it's fairly understood. It's nice. I would like to see the study. I'd like to see what the new research is and, you know, how they how yeah. tied to actual. Because a lot of this stuff happens during any kind of trauma and things like that and how it's tied to actual death of, you know, brain function. It's interesting. Yeah. And thanks, Allison, for posting that. I really enjoyed this article. I, I liked how at the end they also mentioned that just knowing about this idea of near-death experiences made it kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're more likely to th- think you f- experienced a near-death um, experience if you know if you about the mythology <laughs> and you think, oh, I'm supposed to see a bright light. Oh, I'm supposed to see my dead relatives. Yeah. You're, you're predisposed. Disposed? Dispossessed. Dis- <laughs> you know, according to this study, predisposed to see that. Three percent of Americans have declared they have a near-death experience. Three percent. That's pretty small. It's small. It's a lot of people, though. Yeah. And 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 if if the statistics are right, and I know there's a small sample size, about half of those they weren't really near death, and about half of them were. Right. So, interesting. Okay. We'd like to see what the actual Sweet. new stuff is, because it sounds like all the stuff has been around for years and years. Donna, you saw a good movie this week. <laughs> about people who are not going to be around for years and years and years. <laughs> I actually I went and saw the movie Contagion. First off, as somebody who makes films in their spare time, I highly recommend it, namely because it is a very pro-science movie. And it actually, in my opinion, has the best depiction of how medical doctors and anthropologists and people from the CDC all work together for a common good, as opposed to that crappy movie Outbreak. How rare is that to have a good pro-science, anti-woo Right, and movie. it is very, actually, it's one of the points that I really want to hit on. It is extremely anti-woo. They actually have a character played by Jude, Jude Law. His the character's name is Alan Whitey. I can't. Cremudgeon. <laughs> Basically, he is an amalgamation of Mike Adams and all of these people who are anti-vaccination and everything else. He says that he got sick from it and he used this Chinese herbal cure that he just happens to be touting and happens to own part of the company. And you know he's. By the end of the movie, he's made $4 million on this fake cure. Hey, not too bad. Is he and still alive? He is still alive because I, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a picture of uh, Jude Law's character in this kind of fake biohazard suit. <laughs> it's just, it cracks me up. <laughs> because he's walking around and it looks like he basically taped um, saran wrap together and stuck a hair dryer in it. <laughs> awesome. Um. But the movie, so the, no spoilers now. But no spoilers. What, what can you tell us about the movie? The virus in the movie is based on the Nipah virus, uh, which is transmitted from bats to pigs, where it can make the jump to humans. 
but it's very hard to make it a jump in it's, the real world right now. Right, but they it kind of gave it a little bit of flu flu as well to make it more communicable. Made it more communicable. They also kind of um, how do I put it? It normally just attacks the respiratory system, and so they gave it a whole bunch of neurological because it plays better. Yeah, you know, people I'm sorry, a cough is just a cough. But, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow just, you know, flailing like a dead fish was kind of cool. <laughs> Which, she has her own um, wooey site, right? Yes. Goop. Goop.com. Goop.com. Where she talks about uh, goji berries, cupping and acupuncture, vitamin D dosing, skincare products that are for both physical and emotional aspects, celebrity detox doctors, and after the Fukushima nuclear reactor went critical... They were t- telling everybody to eat more seaweed along with red fruits, vegetables, and other ax- antioxidants. Seaweed you know, in I Japan, went, I went, where there's a nuclear disaster. Yeah, and they're dumping the radioactive water <laughs> into, into the, the sea. I went to so. goop.com. I didn't see any of that. I, I'm sure, I'm not doubting that it was there, but it did not look, I didn't see any It's more of a site. health and beauty website, but it's got those elements in there. Right. Now, now, cupping, that's what, at, at dog shows, that's what they do to the male dog, right? To no. the, the, I thought oh, that was God. just snuggling with your no, sweetie no, no, no. at the end of the night. You know what? Somebody did that to me. <laughs> what? Oh, no, they were trying to make sure you had your natural <laughs> testicles. No, copy. No. Oh, the actual, sorry, not the joke that I was making, but the actual massage. Uh, no, I was in no. China. and I was, Don't say no, say yes. You were in China. <laughs> okay. I was in China. I had a headache. Wasn't feeling uh, well. And this woman I was with... She she took. <laughs> Where's the story just, going? It, it, now I'm confused, but continue. <laughs> I know this is off subject, but you, you don't sound like you know what cupping is. Where they heat cups and they place and them they on place you and, and they and create it sucks okay. and so it she, she on says your back. here. Yeah, yeah. She she took a cup, lit a match, threw the match in the cup, put the cup on my back, and it stuck on my back. Didn't help right. my headache at all. I'm sure it was well. It didn't, kind of it didn't relaxing. detract from your headache because your back's hurting because it's all getting sucked up into that cup. That's like the guy who goes to his doctor have a headache. He stamps on his foot. Ah, what'd you do that for? You don't think about your headache anymore. Exactly. It didn't hurt, but it didn't help. Okay. I'm sorry. Totally off subject. But. Yes, totally off subject. I was just going to let you go, but kind of got to get back on. We'll fix it in post. And what does that have to do with heart math? <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing about contagion that I thought was First off, they did actually delve into the science of how diseases are spread. Really delved into the uh, to the R naught, which is where if you have an R naught of one, like the flu, which says for every person that is sick, you can expect it to spread to one other person. So at that point, it's kind of a, a zero sum game. The disease is going to die out before it can really hit that pandemic epidemic levels once you start rising exponentially from one to two to three to four and up that's when you start to see this pandemic response and this movie in this the mev1 virus which is the virus that they that's what they call it ends up at like a pandemic of four to six and that's why it spreads so quickly that's one of the problems with the movie is is that when it starts to spread First, you know, you've got the one girl coming back from China and, you know, she infects, you know, Minnesota. But you're seeing it <laughs> pop up in, you know, Russia and Germany and Bolivia and all. It's like, 
So oh, it reminds it reminds it me of suffers a bit of the same thing that the stand suffered from that Stephen King novel. Right. Well, it I just, was I was thinking more of Twelve Monkeys. That too, uh, be, because the stand is almost a, a mystic, uh, mythical kind of disease. Well, the, the, thing, disease, right? the disease itself is an actual disease that was created in a military lab, and this one guy oh, got out, that's right. that's and right. he basically had hamburgers along the way and spread it and, and spread, spread it. And spread. Okay, so it's right. the same, same thing. Right. So the 12 monkeys... The resolution the, was mystical. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. But that, that was, that's what I was thinking <laughs> of. It's like the like the prequel to 12 Monkeys, to me. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, it, it spread too quickly. The other issue with the science of the movie is, is that once they have developed the vaccine... It's a very short time from the time that they go from, you know, oh, look, we have this untested vaccine to doling it out across the world. Yeah, they, it's like they, they yeah. didn't have to find six billion chicken eggs. Exactly. And that was one of the, you know, one of the arguments of <laughs> there's so much misinformation and conspiracy with this bird flu. You know, every time there's a possible, there's warning of pandemic. Oh, they're just warning people because they can make all this money on the vaccines and just horrible misinformation and just paranoid thinking and conspiratorial. I hope people can. Maybe that's something else we need to teach in school. It's always the problem with those things about things like medical issues, where if you do things right and you prevent it. You, you don't see it. If, if the fire department exactly. does something right, right, they put out the fire and it's, well, you know... Well, obvious. that's actually one of the quotes from Dr. Ian Lipkin, who is was hired on as a consultant by Steven Soderbergh to come in. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character is actually based on Dr. Lipkin, and his answer is, in a pandemic, you hope for the best and prepare for the worst, but one of the sad facts about public health is, if we do our jobs, nobody sees it. Yeah. Okay, so, so good movie. I'm going to see Excellent it. movie. I highly recommend it. There... Some people have argued that it's just a giant PSA about vaccinations and making sure you have your boosters and everything else. It is a well-done movie. The one other issue that I had with it is that they delve into the societal breakdown of what happens when you have such a massive epidemic. And yet, somehow, everybody's cell phone is still working. Everybody still has electricity. Yet, people are looting the stores and killing their neighbors. Yeah. So, okay. and the only real thing that you see of uh, infrastructure breakdown is apparently the only people who quit their jobs were the trash guys. <laughs> Just because a lot of every trash time you walk, everywhere. every time you see like Jude Law walking down the street, there's piles and piles of trash everywhere. Yet. Everybody still has their electricity. He can still blog, you know. <laughs> so you're kind of going, well, I mean. That's possible. Well, by the time this movie was made, home. they have Skynet, and Skynet can take care of itself. <laughs> yeah, that's <Right>. possible. <laughs> but the great line about actually about bloggers, and there is actually a really funny line of Jude Law comes up to one of the doctors, and he's trying to argue with him to get him uh, to get a, a quote. And the doctor says, um, Bloggers are just graffiti artists with grammar. <laughs> so, but yeah, like I said, it's well done. It actually takes a bunch of different sides. I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend if you want to see a good science-based movie, this is it. I'm going to see Very it. Very nice. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. We are ready for the lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. 
All right, lightning round is where uh, each of us have just about 90 seconds to talk about a topic each, and we do t two topics. And because we're running a little long this week, we're going to try to keep the mulligans to a minimum, but um, try not to cut anybody short. So the first topic this week happens to be me, and um, it is about uh, blood donation in the United Kingdom. Turns out that basically the um, studies have been done, and um, the the government panel uh, that co that controls blood donations have decided that they're going to ban uh, they're going to lift the ban on homosexuals giving giving blood for life. Hmm. So it, it used to be like down like here in the United States, if you have ever had sex with a man, you are deferred from giving blood ever. But now they've changed it to if you've had sex with another man in the last 12 months, which is still kind of a little weird because you know a lot of people have a lot of sex and people <laughs> and people have a lot of sex there should be a and problem some people have I, none you know i first saw the story i said are they going to stop asking me if i've ever had sex with a man because i give blood you know and they're yeah, always that's asking in me the that. uk have though. you ever had sex with a man yeah. no we're still going to get that question it'll here. change to the 12 month category maybe someday yeah. here like have you been yeah. out of the states in a 12 month period right. but you know you, you basically you you no no one's asking have you had sex you know, heterosexual sex in the last 12 months. Well, you could have a monogamous gay partner um, who stays with their partner all the time, uses condoms all the time. Yeah. Well, the point is you can detect less, HIV within a, days. a lot less problematic than, say, you know, someone who's out sleeping at bars every week. So um, it's it's a little better, but it's not perfect. But in these medical situations, you got to err on the side of caution. Very good. So, uh, next, apparently, um, Hubble has proven God. Hubble Discovery confirms God created the universe via ChristianNewsWire.com. The most Christian that. of all wire news. So, Paul Hutchins, who is an author and has a, a book out that has lovely uh, photography from the Hubble, Beautiful. and apparently you can buy it from his website as well, uh, whether that's good or not from... You know, for him to do that, since I don't think he necessarily works for NASA. Anyway, um, he says that it's uh, Hubble pictures are proving that the Earth has formed the way that it did in the Genesis account. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, according to NASA scientists, he said, no, sorry, NASA scientists, not a NASA, but according to NASA scientists, <laughs> data from these two telescopes is revealing that planets like the Earth are formed in the exact same fashion as described in Genesis 1, 2, comma 3. According to NASA, planets form inside of protoplanetary disk, blah, 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 as in the verse 2. However, you have to ignore all the rest of the creation myth, um, you know, uh, that he creates plants before light. Uh, and then uh, creates everything. So it's fairly disingenuous, yeah. as you might expect. The only things that fit is it's not formed well at first, and it starts <laughs> in darkness because there's all this dust between it and the sun. <laughs> right. And light comes later because the dust clears. Because it's silly. Wow. So that it is Genesis. Yeah. It, it, it's completely ridiculous. So, so we have five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Stupid. There, he has a book on this, <laughs> he has a book on this by yep. the way. 
All right, up next we have some discussion of Area 51 from David. Well, yeah, actually, you know, Area 51 is super secret, super secret, super secret, but a lot of that's been declassified now. So a lot of people that worked in uh, at Area 51 in, in those days around the time, you know, UFO, you know, conspiracies started. 40s, 50s, are, 60s. Can talk, and they are. And uh, they were interviewed by... A woman named Annie Jacobson, she wrote a book called Area 51, an uncensored history of America's top secret military base. Now, there's a kind of a, a article on this in Popular Mechanics, who kind of take her to task. For one thing, the people that she interviewed are very unhappy with the book. One, because she got a lot of it wrong. But also, if you've heard about this book, you've probably heard of the last chapter of the book. So even if everything else was right... What's getting all the press is she has this one source that she won't tell who it is, but he is impeccable, she says. So she believes he believes that what he's saying. And so she writes this last chapter all about the the whole um, genesis of the uh, alien alien was a Soviet uh, hoax and that they had these um, children that were kind of mutants uh, that were uh, from Joseph... Uh, Nazi Mengele, who made these mutant children to scare the pants off of the U.S., and that these crafts were actually um, electromagnetic frequency propulsion that we still don't have. None of this makes any sense. (laughs) And so uh, I'm really starting to like popular mechanics. It's very good skeptical uh, stuff. uh, stuff. Apparently they're doing better than Discovery News nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's going to be talking. They're they're actually advertising her on Skeptic Magazine. She's going to give a talk. Yeah, she's going to talk. Okay, well. we'll That might be interesting. We'll report on that when it shows up. Yeah. Uh, but up next, uh, we have Donna, who's going to talk to us about zombie caterpillars. Yes. Zombie caterpillars. Apparently, there is a Brains. caterpillar that gets infected with a bacula virus that is a bacula virus only infects invertebrates. And basically what happens is it causes the caterpillar to climb to heights, which it normally does at night to eat, but it causes it to stay there and... It eats and it basically drips the virus down as it basically liquefies the whole insides. What they have found is is that there's a sequence in the genome of the virus, and when they've removed this EGT sequence, basically the caterpillars crawl up, they eat, they come down, even though they still have this virus that will liquefy them. But the minute that they put it back in, they see it all happening. They the the zombie. Actions repeat themselves. So, and, they, and it's called Cuisinarta caterpillari, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting is because we've talked about this stuff before. We've always talked in terms of parasites, and this is not a parasite; it's a virus. virus. Oh. So that's what makes oh, this kind point. of a unique yeah. case. Well, it's that's usually kind of parasi- parasitic. I wonder right. if we have it. That. Basically, deactivates the host molting hormone, and there you go. I mean, it's. Not a parasite, it's a virus, so, you know, don't cough around caterpillars because you might get a contagion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, you kind of worry about the guy going, I wonder what this is, and touching it and, like, getting it on him, and then it mutates for us. Yep. Hey, contagion! contagion. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a big jump to make. That would be. Yep. All right, um, up next we uh, have a story from New Zealand where we have a psychic sheep. The sheep's name is Sunny Wool, which was apparently named after uh, one of the players in a rugby competition. Um, but basically, they did the the standard thing of wool. Uh, yeah, Sunny Wool. 
okay. is the name of this the sheep. It's a sheep. Um, they t- they put out a couple flags and a couple boxes of hay, and they say there was absolutely no bias whatsoever. But it picked the New Zealand sheep, uh, New Zealand flag to win against uh, Tonga. So <laughs> and they did. Yeah, and they did. So apparently, it's a psychic sheep. But if you look at the little video that's up on, it's Huffington Post, but it's got a video (laughs) (laughs) um, where they show basically um, the the sheep is there kind of noodling around on the grass, not doing much of anything and not going towards the flags at all. And the the sheep is kind of sideways, so it's already facing towards one flag and away from the other. And then they come up and they pick up the boxes and they shake both boxes, but the sheep is already facing in one direction. So it's kind of the clever Hans effect in that they kind of wanted New Zealand to be picked. But, um, you know, nobody knew who was going to win. But this is one rugby competition. Yeah, one. And I'm so disappointed. You get you get pressed now for yeah, predicting for one. one game. Yeah. There's it, so many psychic animals out there now. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's stupid. The fun part is that the, the owner, Dan Boyd, thinks, thinks that it's because the sheep's mother had a condition while she was pregnant, and oh. that's why it's a psychic Oh, sheep. yeah, that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to have a story about that yeah. psychic. So like short circuit. Yep. So uh, from another part of the world, we have Gary, who's going to tell us about the Himba tribe and their peculiarities. Yeah. Well, um, it's more about how we perceive color, which is the kind of the point. Uh, the BBC Horizon had a had a show called "Do You See What I See," and they're talking about human perception of color, and they're thinking that, or the hypothesis is that it has a lot to do with language. So, for example. Uh, we in the Western world have lots of different colors. You know, we have the whole color spectrum. We have, you know, sky is blue, water is blue, uh, different things of, you know, different shades. Um, the Himba people have a completely different words for uh, for their colors, and they have different categories. So their sky is actually black, and water is actually white. Uh, so what they did is they set up a computer for them to, to look at different colors. So they had uh, a wheel of like 12 green squares, and one was slightly yellow. And the Himba people, boom, immediately got the slightly yellow square. And we look tell. at it, we, yeah, I couldn't tell. And then, then they said one that was green with one very blue one, and they couldn't see that very blue uh, square, whereas we can easily pick it out. And so what they're saying is that the language of color allows us to see that color. They were and conditioned from well, birth to see Either that or it could be a genetic. Could, right, I was going to say, it could, could it be. have been a genetic... Right, because they live on the plane, so they... But but it is very interesting. It makes you think about whether it does, it uh, whether the wiring can affect the way we see. Hey, I had like two seconds. Well, <laughs> <laughs> again, it was a little early, but you got your point. That's so interesting, because we look at a rainbow, and there's ba- we see bands, but there are really no bands there. You know, we categorize colors. And and that's why we see bands in a rainbow. It's and it's. I just wonder what they so how they see a rainbow. Speaking of people who see weird things, uh, David's going to tell us about a little scuffle between some nine eleven truthers and one of our favorite guests on the show, Terry Jones. Yeah, I just had to. I just had to pull this out because we talked about nine eleven last week. We've talked about the truthers. We've talked about Terry Jones, and I just thought this was interesting. And I'm just going to read it. 9-11 conspiracy-obsessed truthers battle Koran-burning pastor Terry Jones at protest. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Terry Jones, okay. One block from the silent ceremony, silence and solemnity of the 9-11 anniversary, a screaming match erupted between World Trade Center truthers and a pal of Koran burning Pastor Terry Jones. No blows were exchanged as, as Jones clutched a copy of the Koran outside of St. Paul's Chapel uh, one year after he threatened to burn a copy of the Islamic holy book. He's spreading hate against Islam, said Jeff Douglas, 32, who wore a 9-11 was inside job t-shirt. <laughs> He's diluting our message. <laughs> um, this time, rather than protesting the Ground Zero Mosque, uh, Jones and his sidekick, Wayne Sapp, turned out to support 9-11 first responders. They risked everything. They gave everything, he said. Um, uh, but one of the truthers says that... Um, uh, we want a new investigation. We were given a story to believe. We don't believe it. And that you're applauding the first responders are diluting our message. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, what vultures. Yeah. So the crazy battling the crazy. Yeah, and that's Terry Jones, the preacher, not Terry Jones, the python. <laughs> Thank you for that uh, informative point. <laughs> All right. And last but certainly not least... Donna is going to tell us about a human ancestor that I can't currently pronounce, so she's going to take care of it for me. Okay. The human ancestor is Australopithecus sediba. It's been recently discovered, and it really is, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to say the term missing link, but it really does kind of span kind of the Australopithecine Homo erectus um, jump between the two or Homo habilis, actually, because Homo habilis came first. It really kind of spans that jump in human history. Um, Australopithecus sediba had a more chimp-like brain, yet it showed it showed um, evidence of bipedality with the S-curve in the spine, the angling of the knee-to-the-hip ratio. This is two million years ago, right? Yeah, and she was found, estimated... At 1.98 million years ago, Lucy, uh, you know, probably our most famous missing link <laughs> early <ancestor>. example <laughs> of Australopithecus afarensis is estimated between 3.2 and 3.6 million years. Going back all the, I mean, when you go back to Ardipithecus at 6 million, you know, this really is a truly amazing find because you don't see that size of a brain and bi- bipedality. And so. the films are longer too, right? Right. The, had hands built for climbing, yet legs built for bipedality. Right. Wow. Can I talk about a couple of things that jumped out on me? Sure. One is it was surprising that the women had wide hips while, while they still had small brains. Because we always assume that wide hips were to accommodate birthing, birthing wide, you know, bigger brains. And that seems to be maybe not the case. And, Give me and, Mulligan to answer his question. Mulligan. <laughs> okay. Right. and But they were showing evidence in the skull of... Because the, there were actually two specimens found, there's evidence in the the child skull of imprinting on the inside of the skull, meaning that this brain had the capacity to grow larger. Okay. So very much could have been, but also that bipedality, that widening. But she didn't have a big... The widening of the pelvis is also a sign of bipedality. Okay. And the other thing is, they, they one one thing they said was significant was just the modularity. They didn't expect this mix, right? And, and they kind of talked about how evolution is really modular, and and they didn't expect this weird mix of, of different types of. We got time. What was what was more developed and what wasn't? Right. It was just very. We're going to learn a lot, from, right? From but this. honestly, in my personal and professional experience, 
this is a cousin that died out due mm-hmm. to whatever reasons. Well, just probably statistically, the brain yes. size. Statistically, probably yes. the brain size. That this is not going to be, you know, follow kind of this direct line that that scientists and anthropologists are trying to draw back to the common ancestor of the primates. That this is going to be one of those offshoots, um, sort of like Australopithecus robustus or Paranthropines. So, and, they haven't named where's, yet. where's the proof that this is just the devil testing us? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, like, it is interesting going. I've gone to the sites. Of says, course, yeah. I've gone to the sites. You know, there's a lot of anti-evolution yeah. people right. uh, protesting but, this. And, I mean, the people that are that are actually doing the studies. Um, Berger, Johansson out of ASU, these are the, Tim White, these are the top names in biological anthropology, so. Well, I find it amazing that we got from that to us in 6,000 years, so. (laughs) (laughs) And there's, this is not just, this is, this is a beautiful find. They have the entire hand all intact. Yeah. It's beautiful. Because it shows, the, the hand is showing. Um, longer fingers with a curve-like structure, which is perfect for climbing, but... And eating ice cream, and, cream cones. And using a Ouija uh, board. But also, though, the the toes are not showing that curvature, and the angle from hip to... or from knee to hip is less than it would be for a climbing... for a more arboreal so type. So could their feet use a Ouija board? Well, they had like an, a, a place where no, an Achilles, Achilles tendon. Like the seance stuff. Ah, okay. Yeah, they had a place where an Achilles tendon. Yeah. Right. And and so and the angle of the heel is all bipedal. Right. My interesting thing to know that's really going to answer the bipedality question, and this is not something that I saw listed in the article. Most oftentimes, the foramen magnum, which is the hole at the base of your skull where your spinal cord enters, in humans, it's basically on the very bottom. In monkeys, it moves up. Mm-hmm. So it moves to the back of your head. Hmm. So, I mean, think about it. Like, look at your dog. Where does their spine connect to their to your skull? Right. Right. If it's underneath, that is an, an indicator of bipedality. Okay. Yeah. Plus, and, the, like you said, with the angle of the thigh bone being more under the body than yes. to the side of it. And just shape... Dish-shaped pelvis is also another sign of bipedality, the S-curve. There's a whole bunch of questions that haven't been answered. But that is one of the big questions is what came first to make us human? Was it bipedality? Was it the larger brain? And if this is one of those questions that could be answered by Australopithecus sediba. Excellent. uh, I still think it's the invention of disco, but... That's just me. Well, I thought that might. I think might that actually regressed egg. us a couple of ways back, a couple of degrees back in evolutionary terms. <laughs> okay, that was excellent story, excellent yeah. new science. So well, thank yeah. you for that. And uh, always I think... fun to get into these conversations, <laughs> even if we do go over a yeah. little. <laughs> yeah, a little bit over, a little bit long show. Hope you enjoyed it, and we're gonna sign off. Good night. Have a good day. May your all dreams all be wet. Oh well. What? <laughs> May your dreams all be wet. Okay. As hopefully you're not peeing in your sleep. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> well, that might sink it. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>
Skeptifier podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. Anyway, so two people from the University of Virginia, uh, Angelina Lillard and Jennifer Peterson, did a very small study of 64-year-olds. <laughs> she studied 64-year-olds? Yes. They, they, um... <laughs> With their canes and their, hey, get off my lawn! You mean, yep. yeah, 64-year-olds, Craig. Ah. You should put a comma in there. Eat, oh, shoots, and leaves. <laughs> there are four, she there studied four-year-olds, four and there were 60 of them. them. Indeed. <laughs> so, so what they did, they wanted to see the effect of Spongebob... Uh, <laughs> you broke Donna. <laughs> That's a lovely shade of red you're turning. That is. <laughs> wow. Fuck you all. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hold on. <laughs> so, Angelina Lillard. Angelina Lillard. Angelina. <laughs> Let's wait. Let's wait. Take a break. I know. Take a break. I know. Take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that it was SpongeBob that was going to throw this podcast off the rails? <laughs> All right, this part's going at the end anyway. I would have thought so. of something funny. No, <laughs> actually, laughing at us doing the sixty-four-year-old carrying on. I liked the light of understanding that finally came into your eyes. They're like, oh. <laughs> So apparently, it appears <laughs> that. <laughs> now we're reading the news like Star Trek. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, so serious. William Shatner reads the news. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so apparently. <laughs> Do about SpongeBob and the sixty-four-year-olds. <laughs> 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 <laughs>